0: You can't force them to be better or smarter or more facile with language than they are, but you can put in the ingredients, sustain the right environment, and they will definitely grow.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar. So if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy.
0: One thing that I always try to emphasize, and not everybody does this, and you're the teacher, it's your prerogative, but it works so much better when you get strict. If you start out strict, the minimum rule, you will have each dress-up you have learned in each paragraph of this composition, and until that's done, you're not finished. I'll help you. I'll help you figure out some more. We'll add it in, and you can, you know print out another version of it, copy another version of it. But we're not going to say that we're finished until we have each one in every paragraph and it becomes the student's responsibility to show, to indicate that they have done those dress-ups. Because you know as well as I do, you know, you're looking at these papers and if you can just go one, two, three, four, five, okay, you got all five. If there's no underlines and you have to go find those things, you know, it takes five times as long. It's tedious. And they're not gaining the benefit of doing it themselves. See, there's a huge benefit in having that checklist. Check what you do and do what you've checked. And if you have a checkmark in a box that says you have got a L-Y adverb in that paragraph and it is underlined, well, okay. That's that's like a contract. That's like, you know, you've made an agreement saying, yes, I did. And so I think it's very, very valuable, even just from a character development point of view, to be strict and help the students learn and apply the system. And don't be too wimpy, I guess. Oh, well, you can have three of the five dress-ups, whichever three you want. No, if you've learned five, you have all five. And I'll tell you, these kids get so good, they can put all six of their dress-ups in one sentence if you, if they had to. <laughs> it would be a rather long sentence, but I know they could. So if you've got kids saying, no, it's too hard, like I said, you are probably going too fast. What they're really saying is, you taught me too much too fast. And then you come back up say, hey, you know what, I didn't want to overwhelm you. If you can't do all five, let's back this up to the four that you were doing well and you tell me when you're ready for the next one remember the easy plus one rule one thing that i discovered was the most common question in a class that i was teaching of kids who were working with a dress up checklist that got up to quality adjective the most common question was is this a is this a verb or is this an adjective They'd look at a word and they'd know that it was a good word, but they wouldn't be sure on how to check it. You know, at first you think, hey, it's it's like simple grammar. But no, in English, nothing is simple about the grammar because the words don't necessarily change according to how they're used. In a lot of other languages, the two I'm familiar with most would be Japanese and Latin, it's It's so much easier to just look at a word and know that's a verb. It has a verb ending. It's verbish. It couldn't be anything but a verb. Or look at another word and say, nope, that has to be a noun. It has a noun ending. It could not be a noun. Whereas in English, you know, gosh, a word like golf could be anything. It could be a noun. Golf is fun. It could be a verb. We golf every day. It could be an adjective. You know, get in the golf cart. So, we can't really blame the students for being a bit confused about the parts of speech in our language that is not inflected to indicate that consistently. So what I came up with was this little test, this template, and the kids could do themselves because I got tired of having to, you know, run around and help 14 people figure out which word was the adjective in their paragraph. So if you can put your... Word in one of these spots, yesterday he, today he, tomorrow he will, or I I often use the one that says I blank. If it fits in there, makes a complete sentence, you've probably got a verb 80 some percent of the time. And if it doesn't fit in there, doesn't make a complete sentence, you probably don't. Now there are going to be some exceptions, you know, because there are going to be some transitive verbs that don't sound right without an object. But For the most part this test will help the basic kid with the basic problem whereas with the adjective and this is about a hundred percent i mean this really works well if you can stick a word in between the and pen you've got an adjective right now i will tell you the nasty part and that's words ending in ing because a word ending in ing can often be a noun right a gerund singing is fun and then it can also be it can also be an adjective the singing bird and then of course the frustrating fact is that it kind of can be a noun but only if it has help it's like by adding the ing on it you've changed the nature of the thing so now what is it we were camping <laughs> what is that <laughs> So it's a kind of difficult thing dealing with the ING words. And of course, we're not trying to be legalistic, but we're trying to give guidelines that help the students get the variety of the dress up. So generally, I will go through this phase of saying words ending in ING, with the exception, of course, of words like sing and bring and ring cannot be marked as verbs because most of the time they're verbals. And even if they're, using a helping verb like was or were or went or something, you still can't count it because it's it's making it a little bit weaker. So, sang is a little stronger. Was singing, not quite as strong. But like I said, we're, we're not trying to do pinhead grammar here. We're trying to come up with tools and guidelines that help the students become more confident, more sure, And nobody that I know is ever going to be absolutely sure about everything about English grammar. And the odds are, if you do reach that point, you will definitely discover sometime that you are wrong about something. (laughs) At least that's what happened to me. And I have my talk, but, but, but what about grammar? It's a very enjoyable and interesting contemplation of grammar, how important it is, how irrelevant it seems to kids best and worst ways to teach it so okay now the sentence openers have not changed number one always has been and always will be a subject two is a prepositional you of course give the kids a list of prepositions three is going to be the ly adverb and at this point we always remind students that from now on you're going to have to have a minimum of two ly words in each paragraph one will be the opener that's at the first word in a sentence, some sentence anywhere in the paragraph, but it has to be the first word. And now the dress up cannot be the first word. It has to be anywhere else in the sentence. And we refine the dress up based on the new requirement. I have not met a lot of kids who have a problem with that. You know, you just kind of, okay, here's the new rule. This is now what it was, but a little more specific in its use. So that LY word cannot double count. I've seen some kids in my class uh, doing that. Marking it as a dress-up and marking it as a number three opener. And then I have to say, I don't know, you know, if that's what you were taught, but the way I teach it and the way the system is, you, you have to have two. And usually they've got another one somewhere else. They just didn't notice it because they weren't looking for it. So the ING or participle opener, the pitfalls there, of course, are number one, the danger of the Dreaded dangling participle. So, running down the road, the banana peel caused John to slip and fall. Great, running down the road, the banana peel caused him to fall. Well, the rule, if you all remember from the seminar, and if you were with me in a room like now, right now, I would have you all say this rule out loud. The rule of the number four opener is the thing after the comma must be the thing doing the inging. The thing after the comma must be the thing doing the inging. Was the banana running down the road? No, who was running down the road? John, okay, running down the road, John slipped on a banana peel and fell. And so you can usually catch that. The other little pitfall with the number four opener is if you start with a gerund. And that would be something like, running down the road can be dangerous. So running is the sentence, can be is the verb. That's not illegal, but it's not quite the ING. It's not quite that participle opener. It's a gerund opener. So technically, it should be marked a one. So, you know, that'll be a point of a refinement down the line at some point. You don't have to have a lot of stress about it. You'll have plenty of chance to, to find these things and teach right at the point of need. Now, if you're old enough, meaning you've been around me for 20 years or so, you will recall that at one time the sentence opener list had a number seven which was an ed opener and there were there's a couple of problems with that one is that the ed opener wasn't easy to put into every paragraph at least not as easy as an ing and so it was hard to have it on the checklist and say yes you have to do this if you can't kind of make it happen at least once per paragraph plus it kind of broke the parallel between the the six dress ups the six openers the six de- six decorations and the six triples that Webster originally had and then i noticed that the the problem with the ed opener was that it was actually functioning in a very similar way to the ing opener if it was being an adjective. So if your sentence was something like, exhausted by the long test, the student collapsed on the couch. Exhausted by the long test. Well, there's a word that you could put right in front of exhausted that doesn't change the meaning at all and shows what the form of the structure is being exhausted he was being exhausted. So the completing the test, that's a present participle. Having completed the test, being exhausted, that's a past participle. And so at some point, we threw in the ING with the ED, and then also we added the invisible number four, which would be kind of an advanced technique where you start with an adjective. So. Big, large, and colorful, comma, the monarch who butterflies swarmed around my head. Large and beautiful? Those are adjectives. What's the missing word? Being large and beautiful. See? So they're all the same. The ing, the ed, and the invisible. We all mark those a number four. The number five? is the clausal opener and this is similar to when introducing the number three you're now going to point out that yes you're going to have two of these things one while whereas since if although one of them is going to be an opener you start the sentence with one of those words and then the other one is going to be a dress-up technique where you have it in the middle of a sentence and sometimes you can even just flip the sentence then this is the point where I personally decided that we're going to drop the because dress op, make it optional, stick the B with the other clausal starters. So now we have the www.asia.b. And then you've got when, as in although, because, because is an option, but you never have to force it into a paragraph and that adds some freedom, which it really needs to take off some of the pressure here. And then the very short sentence, two, three, four or five words. Everybody's favorite. So those are the basic six. Uh, then we had always the question of a student uh, who writes a sentence and it isn't obviously one of those. Now, the default position is if it's not a 2, 3, 4, 5, or a 6, then you just call it a 1, and we use the subject slash catch-all category. But there are a few that are worth marking. So in the last few years as I started teaching the high school essay intensive, I put in three more openers that are labeled with letters rather than numbers. One is the Q, and that could count as the decoration of a question as well but it's just indicating a different type of sentence. T is for transition, and then you'll notice in the new lists that there's a list of transitional words. These are generally what you call, I think, non-subordinating conjunctions. In some cases, they may be called adverbs by some people, but the the list would be here on page 183 words like however therefore then thus later now otherwise indeed first next also moreover hence furthermore henceforth likewise usually spot them because they come right at they they have a comma that comes right after and if you remove them they wouldn't affect the sentence grammatically then of course the fragment the irony of the fragment is you're only allowed to do it if you know that you're doing it. Accidental fragments generally are illegal, don't sound good and should be discouraged and corrected. Intentional fragments can be very effective. So it's one of those, you can break the rules once you know them kind of situations. So the minimum rule as I teach it now is that you wanna have each one in every paragraph as possible. However, if you know all six sentence openers, but you only have five sentences in the paragraph, you wouldn't have to have all six openers because you've only got five sentences, and you wouldn't be forced to put in a sixth sentence just to have the sixth opener. You would have five openers. They would all be different, but there would only be five. Same thing in the case where you had a four-sentence paragraph. You'd have only four openers. They'd all be different, but you have all four. Once you start getting longer paragraphs of six, seven, eight, nine sentences, 10 or more, then you're going to probably begin repeating them. And then with the QFT, what I would say is you could substitute one of those for one of the others. So let's say you have a six sentence paragraph and you could have a one, two, three, five, six, and instead of a four, you could have a T or instead of a two, you could have an F. If you had seven or eight sentences, you could have all six and repeat them, or you could substitute in one of the Q, F, or T. So remember in the goal, it's to keep the variety uh, unlike the dress-ups where we want to underline only one of each. With the sentence openers, we number every sentence so that we can avoid having more than two of the same in a row. That way the student can scan the margin and look at the openers, and if they see they've got a, one, three, five, two, one, one, six, five. They say, ooh, I've got, you know, too many ones here. I got to change a couple of those. Decorations. Nice little list. All the examples in the book are good ones. Alliteration, question, conversation, quotation, three short staccato sentences, simile or metaphor. Those can be taught simultaneously or separate. And so there's six. The dramatic Oh, I think we put conversation and quotation together as well, because there used to be six. But I mean, really, if you look at it, there's eight. The dramatic opening closing is when you frame the sentence with a very short sentence at the beginning and at the end. If kids have trouble figuring out the difference between a simile or metaphor, you can just remind them that a simile could be true. Something could be like something else, or someone could do something as something else whereas a metaphor says something is something else. So technically, a simile could be true, but a metaphor is not true. Metaphors are more powerful, too. So when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, that's more powerful than saying, I'm like a vine, and you're like branches. You know, so, And the minimum rule, one decoration per paragraph, once you've learned them all, one different decoration per paragraph, that's minimum, you can have more if you like and you put the D-E-C in the margin. Sometimes we used to do a dotted underline. Sometimes we've had people do italics in typing, but I think the D-E-C in the margin, if you can, is the the easiest way. The triples can be anything. Words, clauses, phrases, ings, ly's, adjectives, nouns, verbs. And the real challenge of the triples is to not get the same meaning right so it wouldn't sound good if you said rapidly quickly and speedily he completed his task those are too redundant in meaning so it, it doesn't work whereas if you said efficiently rapidly, quickly efficiently and carefully he completed it then those might add to the meaning so the trick of triples is to not repeat yourself and that's that's hard for kids, but you know you can point it out and give them plenty of samples and opportunities and all that and then here's your little grammar question: uh, what is the difference between a phrase and a clause? Of course, that reminds you of the joke you know what's what's the difference between a cat and a sentence? The cat has a clause at the end of its pause, and a sentence has a pause at the end of its clause. <laughs> Yeah, I think something like that. But the difference between a phrase and a clause is important because when openers come around and you look at some of those openers that could be either clausal openers and, or they could be prepositions. So could be either. Let's see, uh, since. Since is a good one. You could say, since this morning, I've had a headache. Okay, since this morning, no verb, that's a phrase. You'd mark it in number two. If you say... Since the war began. Now you have a clause because there's a subject and a verb. The war began. Since the war began. So since is probably the biggest one. As can sometimes be. As a clown, he amused everyone. As he was amusing everyone, other people were torturing them. You know, so the difference. So uh, that'll come up to once you've taught the idea of triples, which isn't a terribly hard idea to teach. By the time you get here, they just, okay, I can do that. Boom. Just triple any one thing. And then you might get to some of these advanced dress-ups. These are in the section, the end, page 187. You've got the duels. You've got the invisibles. You've got the teeter-totters. You've got the noun clause. You've even got the invisible noun clause. One thing to point out is that these duels, these advanced dress-ups, do not have to be done in addition to the existing dress up so you don't ask for dual verbs in addition to a strong verb dual verbs replace a strong verb you don't ask for an invisible who which in addition to a regular who which if you do the invisible who which it replaces that on the checklist so that gives you know the kids a little bit of freedom too you will end up with all sorts of interesting grammar questions that you yourself will then have to research perhaps work through, and just remember this one thing. Grammar is not a science. It is not something that you can know. And it's going to always work and be consistent. Grammar is one of the seven liberal arts. So grammar, along with logic and rhetoric, are things that are art. You, you learn them by doing they gradually change. There are different styles and ways to do it. And so take that approach that when we're practicing grammar, we're following basic principles and seeing many different ways that things can work out. And then we, we can be a little less legalistic and not have to carry our grammar Nazi t-shirt in our back pocket and put it on when we are called out. If you want more grammar, boy, we've got this one. I've taught through several years of this. I have not ever met a person who taught through one of these fix and did not love it. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there's some people who look at it and send it back or something. But, I mean, we're at a, an incredibly high success rate with this thing. So far better than I ever imagined as this product came into conception and Pamela White is our grammar virtuoso since we wouldn't say a grammar Nazi she's a grammar virtuoso she did a magnificent job putting these together and you can you know you use it for 6 years uh, you'll learn stuff yourself I I tried to go through and fix the whole book 6 go in and the green night I couldn't do it it's, it's so challenging when to graduate from the checklist when a student is so good at doing everything they have to do, that it's easy, then they can be free of the checklist and use or not use those techniques. Or they may leave your control, go off to some other teacher, leave home, go to school and college, and you know, what you've taught them, you've taught them. But there is an end in sight. And at a certain point, it's good to say, yes, well done, good and faithful student. You have mastered the checklist you can do everything, now you don't have to be free. So that's kind of it. So that's uh, basically what I plan to cover. I, I don't see a lot of questions piled up. It looks like, Tara, you got your question answered. And there were a couple others. I think Julie typed in some answers that were specific to people. So I'm willing to hang out for a few more minutes. If you do have a question that pops in mind, problem is you guys are all experts, so you knew everything. Half of you could have taught this webinar maybe better than I did, but it's always good. I always learn things when I'm thinking about them. I always learn things when I'm explaining them again for the umpteenth time. So it's just one of those things where it's okay to hear good and true and helpful things again. So be sure and get our new Megalog. It will be coming out, well, theoretically in a a month or so. We won't bet on when it actually gets to your house, given the vicissitudes of printing and bulk mailing. But don't forget, we have, in addition to this webinar, we have our podcasts, we have our blogs, we have our forum where people can ask questions, and we try to let no question or discussion go unaddressed. Our e-newsletter, if you haven't signed up for that, the most valuable part of the e-newsletter is you get notified about when the new Andrew's Joke of the Month will appear on YouTube. So I was very happy to meet a few children last week in Olathe, Kansas who had watched every joke of mine on YouTube actually so well that they could tell me my own jokes <laughs> almost in my own words. So we're sidelining as a, you know, humor uh, institute as well. And then as I mentioned, the Magnum Opus always has great student writing which is so helpful when you're trying to show your students how to do something. A couple questions did pop up. Let's see. Christie says to me, "This question does not pertain to grammar but i had a question about writing pace in general i have a first fourth and sixth grader this is our first year through iw i've wondered how much they should be writing each week we're in unit five do you recommend writing through a picture sequence every day a few a week keyword outline every day but not all written into composition yes christy as intelligent people often do they answer their own question with their question i would recommend exactly that that you do either one a day or a few a week or a keyword outline every day, but not all written into a composition, the more the better. As far as I can tell, writing is like putting money in the bank. You know, the more you put in, the more principle you'll have, the more interest you'll gain, the more benefit later in life. But you've got other things to do as well and you have to allocate your time. I don't think you could do too much writing unless people are just, you know, their hands are falling off their Eyes are crossed, their muscles are cramped and and they're moaning as if it were real torture. I think a good baseline baseline you know if you could get an average of three good solid paragraphs a week, that would get you moving forward and enough practice to be learning things. More would be better, but like I said, you can't necessarily uh, push it beyond what's reasonable. so and all kids are different. I mean you might have one of your kids who would write 20 pages a week if you'd let her. You've got another child who, if you get the three good solid paragraphs to a fairly polished up state, he's just totally ready to be done with it. And that's okay. That's okay too. Joanne says, any tips on teaching clausal dress-ups and openers? Yeah, the clauses I find are usually fairly easy for kids because they start to talk that way. So as kids develop complex sentences the first thing they do is they start to use and a lot. Then they'll start to tune into those adverb clauses. So, you know, my my four-year-old grandson, Grandpa, when you come back, we should play. That's a good idea, (laughs) right? He'll say that to me. So he's getting the relationship between when you come back and we'll play. No, you come back and we'll play. When you come back, let's play so that idea i think is a natural language acquisition so you can play on that probably the hardest one is the who or which we don't use it colloquial as much as we do words like when or although or because however reading to students i guess the the biggest tip i would say is when you're teaching a technique and it seems like the kids are having a hard time grasping it just bring in more examples and try to read some stories or sections of a book or something read some things that have those clauses, and point that out to the kids. Or maybe even use the magnum opus, print it, give it to them, and have them try to find those things. And then once you see them, the way in which they're used starts to carry into your own writing. So, This was from Stacy. Is it okay to have my sons use a dictation app to turn their keyword outline into sentences rather than writing it by hand? Well, Stacy, you know, that would be something you have to decide. One basic principle of technology is that it will atrophy the skill which it replaces. So if you use a calculator for every math problem, you will not learn your multiplication tables and you'll be handicapped when it's time to do fractions. If you have a calculator, you can check your mental math and that's a good thing. So that's one thought. If you're gonna let the kids dictate their sentences from their keyword outline, I would probably say, okay, then we're gonna print it out and edit it. And then as a handwriting practice, you can copy the whole thing, either that or we'll print this one and here you can go copy a hundred words out of this fairy tale or the book of James or something. If you give up entirely letting children, requiring children to write on paper, you require only a very minimum amount of that they are very likely to become adults who have a hard time just with the physical skill of writing on paper whereas if you do it it's an exercise a little bit like stamina building i think all of us would say if possible barring a severe handicap or something we would like our children to have as adults the ability to write on paper. They may not need it too much in their work, but who knows? I mean, we still see a lot of people writing on paper and it would be sad to have lost that skill or never developed it as fully as it could have been. So that's going to have to be your call there, Stacy. Anyway, thank you all for joining us. Please stay warm wherever you are. And uh, I will be... Where am I gonna be uh, in the next uh, period? I will be in Phoenix on February 2nd and 3rd. I will be in Anchorage for the Chugach School District and in Fairbanks for some homeschool stuff on February 9th and t- 8th, 9th, and 10th. I will be in Green Bay, Wisconsin, February 23rd, doing a free public talk on the evening and then the high school essay intensive. February 24th, and then March starts the convention season with the South Carolina Great Homeschool Conference, March 8th, 9th, 10th, and then the very week after that. All right, God bless you all.